1: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Fiction. Science. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. 106.5 FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and 105.0 AM Palm
0: Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and I'm your host today, Al Warren. Back up today is Mr. David Baseball Martino. <laughs> How are you doing, Al? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How's the karate
1: going? It's going great. Yeah. I I just had another video uh, do very well.
0: Yeah. Well, YouTube, that's so, that's yeah. great. Well, see, we'll call you um, Daddy Karate or something. I don't know. Yeah. I have to okay. figure out something because <laughs> coming up with a key name, you know, you're getting all this attention. I have to. I know. I know. You'll be a star.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You'll be
0: leaving the show. You'll be doing your own The Karate Kid Part 8. Oh, there we go. You know, you'll take over for him. You'll be oh, Ralph perfect. Macchio. Be Dave Machio. <laughs> that's your name. Dave Machio. Dave Machio. Okay. Yeah. See, see, yeah. we're getting, I'm, I'm lining you up, you know. Perfect. You're going to be the star. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Well, now today we are going to be talking about a new book, uh, called Tesla, Wizard at War. And we're going to talk about, uh, with the, um, author. And yeah. And Dave, that's not the Tesla car. Okay. No. No. The band. Okay, so don't, yeah, no, not the band, so <laughs> don't ask any questions like that. So, so Mr. Mark J. Seifer, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Uh, well, so, Mark, I, I noticed just looking through this, this is the second time you've written about uh, Tesla, and, and I kind of wonder um, what the uh, interest was for you to go back and actually do another book.
2: Tesla's a fascinating topic. Uh, everybody you know, hones in on the war of the currents between Tesla and Edison, uh, which is an amazing story, how he uh, lit the Chicago World's Fair and then had, gained the right through Westinghouse to launch the hydroelectric power system, beating Edison in the war of the currents. Uh, but the thing about Tesla is he gets more and more interesting as you go through his entire life. And although uh, Wizard, the Life and Times of Nikola Tesla covers his whole life, Uh, there was still some mysteries left. And those are the mysteries I wanted to explore in the new book, Wizard at War. So that was really what happened. It just, he just continues to fascinate me.
0: Well, he's an interesting character. So um, now for people that don't know much or anything about Tesla, because there's always listeners that are new to this, um, what's the basic uh, thing that Tesla is known for? I think he's
2: known for, as I mentioned, a,
0: a hydroelectric power system.
2: And one thing about it and the induction motor, it's a clean energy, renewable source of power. So he's through the hydroelectric power system, which was put in at Niagara Falls. He wiped out 3,000 little local coal operating power stations and uh, he could run factories in, in the forest. Whereas before him, those of us who live, you know, in the Northeast, All the factories in those days were along rivers. You had to be very close to the power source. So after Tesla came in, you no longer had to be close to the power source. And also, it was clean energy. It did not pollute the earth and it did not sap the earth of its natural elements, such as oil and coal. That's his first major accomplishment. His second major accomplishment, he really is the inventor of wireless communication and cell phone technology, the ability to create an unlimited number of wireless channels, all that was invented around 1900. Uh, Marconi is the name that people know because Marconi uh, succeeded in the marketplace and Tesla ran, out of, ran into big problems with J.P. Morgan when he built this huge tower out on Long Island, uh, which I do get into in, in, in Wizard Out War. But I think those are the two most important inventions of his, hydroelectric power system, the induction motor, and wireless communication.
0: His name also tends to um, bring a little bit of controversy as well. There's some people that say some not very nice things about him. Is is there a particular reason you think that that happens?
2: There's a lot of reasons. One is uh, professional jealousy. Uh, When I first got into this uh, way back in 1976, I wanted to figure out who the heck was Tesla. I know he was involved in in Alternating Current. So the first book I got in the library at the University of Rhode Island down in the basement 1897, written by Charles Steinmetz, all on the alternating current system, Tesla's name isn't in the book. It wasn't until a year or so later that I realized what Steinmetz had done would be like writing a book on the theory of relativity and somehow forgetting to put Einstein's name into the book. Uh, That's what uh, he did, and the reason he did was he was working for General Electric, and they were competing against uh, Westinghouse. So you had a whole group of people that it was not to their financial benefit to to uh, raise Tesla's you know accolades because they themselves had competing inventions. Uh, that was one of the big reasons. And another reason, this is the house of mystery, he thought he had received pulse frequencies from Mars, from the Martians, which in, in, in 1899, and he wrote an article called Talking with the Planets. So he started to become a fringe person, particularly when his wireless system no longer... Uh, uh, was working because he ran out of money. Um, so he was linked to the occult. His, his na- name was kept alive in the occult. And in fact, I was teaching parapsychology. My first books that I got on Tesla were from UFO organizations. Um, so that, that, those are the two main reasons. Political, uh, uh, you know, financial jealousy and also that he was uh, far out in his beliefs that maybe he was contacted by extraterrestrials.
1: Do you, do you think that's why, um, We never heard, at least I didn't, hear about Tesla like when I was in school. We would hear about Edison and we'd hear about Marconi, but Tesla was never brought up.
2: Yes, but his name was also purposely buried. Um, People that knew him well, I mentioned Charles Steinmetz, who was very famous for General Electric. Um, Michael Pupin, who taught at Columbia University for many years in the physics department, uh, buried his name in, in a book that won a Pulitzer Prize. Um, and different writers uh, purposely kept his name out of for those reasons, the economic reasons. Uh, so that was, that was it. But also, you know, we tend not to remember people who come in second and we don't even remember the names of inventors. I don't know who, I do not know who invented, uh, contact lenses. Um, I, I know that Velcro was invented by a guy having, he, he saw the burrs in the forest, but I don't know his name. So we often don't know the names of people. We know the names of the corporations. We don't know the guy who invented the mouse. We know Stephen Jobs. Stephen Jobs didn't, did not invent the mouse. So there's a number of reasons why his name disappeared. Um, but th- those are some of the reasons why.
0: Hmm. So now I noticed. now this book, you call it The Wizard at War. And um, you're kind of focusing on some of the other aspects of Tesla. So what what are the main or primary focuses in this book about Tesla
2: well there were three major wars that Tesla was involved in the first was the uh, Spanish American war which is 1898 and he had invented by that time a a remote control robot and this robot it's a boat it's like a submarine boat um, had two aerials and he was combining frequencies even back then that is the basis of cell phone technology uh, selective tuning, radio guidance systems, um, and he felt that if every country had a remote control torpedo, that no country would invade another country by the sea because the torpedo would explode and, and uh, destroy the ship. Um, and Mark Twain was really interested in that invention. And there's a letter I cover in the book when Mark Twain was in Europe, dealing with the the, the Czar of Russia and other people. He wanted to sell Tesla's remote control robot uh to these people and he asked tesla you know if he can do this um so that's the first major war the second major war is world war one and the third war is of course world war ii in world war one tesla's actually working for the germans before we got into the war and the germans actually had the best wireless system it's better than marconi's so the u.s navy had German wireless systems on their naval ships, which was perfectly okay because we were a neutral country, and the Germans were, had hired Tesla because they knew that they were—they actually pirated Tesla's apparatus. The Kaiser allowed uh, any German uh, citizen to use, uh, you know, inventions from anybody without paying royalties to anybody. So that was their way of paying him back. They hired him, and then Marconi had the guts to uh, the chutzpah to sue the U.S. Navy, and to sue Telefunken uh, for patent infringement. But the truth of the matter was that Tesla's invention of the radio predated Marconi's. And since Franklin Roosevelt was the assistant secretary of the Navy, he went into research, and there's a letter that he writes where he says, let's use Tesla's patents over Marconi when Marconi sues us. So that was a very interesting uh, story that I cover in the book when Marconi actually comes to New York to this big giant uh, a lawsuit, which is, took place in Brooklyn, and he comes in on the Lusitania in 1915, and then the war gets, you know, heated up, and he leaves under an assumed name under a, a hidden, on another ship, and the Germans sink the Lusitania, so there's a question as to whether or not they were actually trying to murder Marconi as part of the reason why they sunk the Lusitania in 1915. Um, so I get into all that in, in, in World War I, and in World War II, I get into Tesla's invention of the particle-beam weapon. Um, I think one of the biggest uh, things that I found in writing this book, um, you have this image, those of us who know Tesla, of this old man in Bryant Park next to the New York Public Library feeding the pigeons. And that's all true, but he was not this doddering old poor guy just, you know, withering away. He was negotiating with the very heights of power in the onset to and during World War II. And I have documents which establish that Tesla was negotiating with Joseph Stalin, uh, with uh, General McNaughton, who was the head of secret weapons development for the Canadian government, third in line to be the head of Allied forces behind Eisenhower and Mountbatten. That's who McNaughton was. There's a lot of letters between them. McNaughton was uh, the, the right arm of Winston Churchill. And also, I have a letter signed by uh, Franklin Roosevelt as president wanting to meet Tesla because he's interested in the particle beam weapon. And basically, I set up the idea that there were two major weapons here, the, the nuclear bomb, and uh, which is Einstein's, uh, coming from Einstein and Tesla's particle beam weapon. And Franklin Roosevelt is deciding which way should we go? Uh, do we need the particle beam weapon to protect us in case the Germans get the atom bomb and fly a nuclear bomb over, and we, we need this weapon which can shoot down airplanes? So those are the three major wars and, and the three major inventions uh, that I deal with, the remote control the torpedo boat, uh, wireless communication, and also the particle beam weapon in these three wars.
0: What was his dealings with uh, Joseph Stalin then?
2: Well, in 1934, um, Joseph Stalin, through the Ontar Trading Corporation, was trading with Ford and and General Motors and many American companies. And we were helping them. We were giving them grain because they were were starving there. So it was perfectly okay. But I think it was a little dicey that Tesla was selling them a, a, a secret weapon. And he did indeed sell it. And I cover that in why, in a wizard, my first book. And I knew he got $25,000. What I did not know until I got the second book, working on the second book and got letters that were declassified from the Soviet Union that Joseph Stalin himself had to sign off on the payment of 25000 Now, 25000 in those days, I'm old enough to remember when you could buy, you know, a Hershey bar for, for a nickel. Uh, But in the 1930s, you could feed a whole family for under a dollar. Um, So $25,000 in those days was easily worth a half a million or more in today's dollars. And so it was a lot of money. And Stalin himself okayed the transfer of the funds uh, to get the details of the weapon. So that was his link to Stalin.
0: Now, did he actually work for Edison?
2: Yes, he worked for Edison in 1884. In fact, he worked for him in 1883 in Paris. And I discovered a trip that Edison took to Paris. that's never been written about before, uh, which I cover in, in the first book, uh, Wizard. Um, and he loved Edison. Edison was the Napoleon of invention. He wanted to go to New York and work for this, the Wizard of Menlo Park. And he's got this new invention, the, the alternating current invention. And Edison is battling against Westinghouse. Edison was a DC man. Westinghouse was an AC man. And Edison just didn't believe in AC and didn't want to hear anything about it. So Tesla, you know, said, well, let me fix your DC equipment. I can, you know, improve it by 15 or 20%. And Edison said, boy, if you could do that, there's $50,000 in it for you. And and then Tesla goes ahead and does it. And he really expects Edison to pay him $50,000. So he leaves in a huff when Edison says, I was kidding. I mean, this is America. It's an American joke. I wasn't going to pay you 50 grand for that, for that but I thank you very much. Um, so there was a dispute between the two of them. Uh, and then later they reconcile. Uh, what I found out in 1895, when Tesla's uh, laboratory burnt to the ground, Edison lent him laboratory space in New Jersey until t- Tesla could get his own laboratory. So they were enemies for a while, and then later they were, they were friends.
0: Wow. So what do we know about his personal life? Like, did he did he sort of um, have good relationships with other people or what happened with him? You know,
2: one of the reasons I was so interested in Tesla, he (laughs) moves into the Waldorf Astoria at the height of the Gilded Age in the 1890s, the gay 90s. He's friends with uh, John Jacob Astor, who owns the Waldorf. He's the largest landowner uh, in New York City. He's friends with uh, Robert Underwood Johnson, who's the editor of Century magazine, which was like Life magazine for us when we were kids or now, you know, the, all the different sh- uh, shows that you can watch on cable or whatever. Uh, but everyone got Century magazine. It was it was the magazine of the day. It was what we have today as television. They had these major magazines and his wife, Catherine Johnson. Uh, he was friends with Mark Twain and Rudyard Kipling. Um, he, he was friends with all of these stars of the Gilded Age. Um, so that's one of the things that intrigued me about him. And one of his closest friends was Stanford White. Stanford White was the architect who built the original Madison Square Garden, uh, the arch in, you know, in, in uh, Greenwich Village, um, and many churches and uh, Penn Station. And eventually he comes to design uh, Tesla's Wardenclyffe uh, Tower. So where Stanford White was a letharia with many women. He slept with Evelyn Nesbit when she was 16 years old. She was the floor Gibson girl of the day. Tesla was celibate. He, he didn't have sexual relations with anybody. And there's a question whether or not he had homosexual tendencies. Uh, that may or may not be true. But he was friends with men and women and claimed that he was celibate his entire life. So there's a mystery about his intimate personal life. But I cover in this new book... Uh, his link to people that had never been, he'd never been linked to before. He was close friends with, uh, with Tiffany, Lewis Comfort Tiffany. Uh, he was friends with, uh, Theodore Dreiser, the, the author. Uh, friends with, uh, William Randolph Hearst. Uh, Citizen Kane, the movie that Warson Wells did was about Hearst. On uh, and I cover that and he's a friend with, uh, Daisy Gordon, who was a socialite from the turn of the century. So he's fascinating that he's friends with many interesting men and women, many of them historical giants in their own right, Uh, but his sexual life is mysterious because indeed he claimed that he was uh, celibate, that he transferred all of his sexual energy, transformed it into into invention. He was inventing really the new age.
0: Well, all super intelligent people are homosexual. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now, I also heard that he only slept two hours a day
2: or night. He claimed it. Um, He claimed that, you know, every once or twice a year, he'd have a deep sleep of four or five hours. I maybe, you know, genetically, he was unusual. He had eidetic imagery where he could envision the inventions and run them in his head. Um, And there was a great uh, myth that that's all he did. And when they found the Colorado Springs notebooks, he has mathematical equations that'll make your head spin. I mean... I was a math major in high school, advanced math classes, and I can't do the math of the kind of stuff that he was doing. And they didn't want to publish his Colorado notebook because they wanted the myth that he did everything in his head. And uh, Alexander Marinchin, she was the head of the museum, said, no, this makes him greater. He did a lot in his head, but he also worked it out on paper. So Colorado Springs notebook uh, is available and it's got all these incredible mathematics and it's all this wireless calculations. And it, at this time in 1900, 1899, Marconi doesn't even know how to create, create two channels. He's not even sure what frequency he's using and Tesla's multiplying frequencies telling JP Morgan, I can create an unlimited number of wireless channels and you see all the math behind it.
0: Um, he's so far ahead uh, technologically from anybody else of the day. Wow. Um- what surprised you like, is with his uh, friends or people? What one sort of surprised you the most? I
2: think the biggest surprise I found when I lucked out was locating uh, that he was uh, good friends or associate associated with General uh, Andrew McNaughton, who was the head of secret weapons development for the Canadian government and thus really for the British Empire. And there were a lot of letters between the two of them. I you know, who the heck is Andrew McNorton? I never heard of the guy. So I do a little research. He's on the cover of Life magazine. He's on the cover of Time magazine. He's third in line to be head of Allied forces. This is a big deal that Tesla's negotiating with the head of secret weapons development for the British Empire, trying to help them protect against the German invasion. That was the biggest surprise for me. And I, I got real interested in McNaughton. Uh, because it was a guy I never heard of and I, and he's f- literally flying down or taking the train down to meet, to meet with Vannevar Bush, who's the head of the Manhattan Project and secret weapons development for the American government and President Roosevelt. So he's, uh, you know, it, he's at the top echelon and Tesla's negotiating with the very echelon of power of the Allied forces as uh, Germany, you know, starts to build up and, and become almost impregnable uh, in the early part of World War II.
1: Well, did he, um, with his weapons like the uh, particle beam, which I believe was called teleforce, did, did he um, actually sell any of those and actually have them developed? Did anyone ever develop and use them?
2: It's a great question. He really did sell the details to the Russians for uh, 25000 and tried to help them out. I think he gave the details to the British government. Through Andrew McNaughton. McNaughton sent uh, physicists to meet with Tesla at the Hotel New Yorker. And he definitely gave all the details to the American government. I spoke with Ralph Bergstresser. He's no longer on the planet. But Bergstresser was the last person to see Tesla alive. And Bergstresser was working for Franklin Roosevelt and uh, the War Department. Uh, He was, you know, in in the military. He would meet with Tesla at the uh, at his hotel hotel New Yorker and uh, Tesla would give him the details of the particle beam weapon and then he would microfilm them and he'd give the papers back uh, to Tesla and all that is uh, you know is, is covered in the book but you're asking did he ever build a particle beam weapon and I I don't think he ever built a large one he probably built small prototypes but even then um, he had run out of money early in his life you know by the 19 1905 1906 he was really struggling to make uh, to make uh, do. And uh, it's hard to establish whether he actually built an actual particle beam weapon. Uh, but he worked out all the details to, to a great extreme. And I think, you know, we spent in today's dollars, a trillion dollars to build the atom bomb. I think you had to spend hundreds of millions of dollars to build a particle beam weapon. Um, today's railgun is based on all the principles of Tesla's particle beam weapon. So we do have a military weapon, clearly based on it, but this is 50-something years later. So uh, you're asking a great question, Dave, about, about it, and it's one of the mysteries that's not totally solved.
0: Right. Was he religious? Uh,
2: that's a great question, too. His father was a priest, <laughs> and in 1917, he's offered the Edison Medal. He doesn't want to get a medal from Edison. And so uh, one of his buddies says, well, who do you want it to get? You want Charles Steinmetz to get your medal? So he agrees and he accepts the Edison medal. And he talks about that, his, his, uh, that there's something beyond this world and that he's working for the future. So he does have a spiritual side to him, but he's very materialistic too. I mean, for him, the soul was, was almost like Pavlov's dogs, you know, rewards and punishment inside the brain. So part of him is very mystical. Another part of him is uh, the exact opposite of being mystical. Um, But he grew up with a father being, you know, a Greek Orthodox priest. So he certainly had the spiritual background. And he was interested in different religions, too. I found a letter that he wrote to Lord Kelvin. He had given him a book on the great initiates, Moses, uh, uh, the the different uh, Indian gods, you know, um, confucius and, and all those he did study all those kinds of people so he definitely was interested in all those, those areas
0: and so what kind of a um a person was he do you think as well like so um what was he positive with with society at the time was he like where, where do you think he sat as far as his, his lifestyle I think he was an elitist. He
2: also had a tremendous um, altruistic side. He did rip up a royalty contract with Westinghouse, which was worth in today's dollars billions of dollars to help him uh, win the war of the currents. Uh, and he really wanted to serve humanity. Um, but he also, he he was he had mixed feelings about Roosevelt. He was against the New Deal. Um, and so he, he, in that sense, was a was a bit of an elitist. But he also had a great sense of humor. Uh, one of my favorite uh, letters that he writes to Katherine Johnson was uh, he's going to meet uh, Rudyard Kipling for dinner. And he says, what's the matter with Ink Inkspiller Kipling? He dared to invite me to this crazy hotel where I was sure to find uh, hair and cockroaches in the soup. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, you just have to laugh. I mean, he had a great sense of humor. And he was, you know, with the upper echelon. Uh but I think in that sense, and you know, he worked. He had a lot of workers that, that worked for him, too. But, but it, there was this elitist side to him, and he was a bit of a megalomaniac. He really did want to control the entire planet with, with his wireless system. And it's unfortunate that he ran out of money, because I think, I think we would have had wireless cell phones uh, in the early 1900s had Morgan given him the money to, to succeed. But his personality is very complicated. He was friends with many men and many women. He liked to go to plays. Like to see comedies, you know, the movies when movies came out. Um, it was really, a, a, you know, the bon vivant.
0: Yeah, if we had cell phones that early, do you think it wouldn't it have just the human race would have went nuts, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs>
2: We're learning that now with the internet for sure. Yeah,
0: <laughs> well, yeah, because you know, 100, 100 years ago, it was even, even more naive in a sense, right? So, I could imagine. Um, what would have happened and how the wars would have turned out? How, how would Hitler have dealt with a cell phone?
2: I know. Well, look at Putin right now, you know. Yeah. I mean, are, are the Russians, uh, do they know what's going on? I mean, or even in China, you know, uh, Tiananmen Square. You know, how do you hire all these things even now with all the great uh, uh, access that we have? It's a really interesting question. I think that it would a lot have been a lot harder for Hitler to have succeeded with the Holocaust. I had had Tesla succeeded with his wireless system. Um I have yeah. always felt that
0: yeah certainly because there would be more people aware of it. And and I wonder if they'd have, we'd have uh, a ver- their version of Alex Jones back then too. <laughs> 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 All sorts of stories then. Yeah, there's a good possibility there. Yeah. <laughs> uh Alakai Jones. Yeah. Um so at the, at the end of the day, um, when someone picks up this book, what is it you hope that they take away from it?
2: I think, you know, I got a lot of, I got a lot of letters from kids. They do their, um, their scientific sci- assignments on Tesla, and a lot of them win the award. Tesla is such an incredibly fascinating guy. The last chapter of the book deals with Tesla's dynamic theory of gravity. Um, and you just keep learning from him. I, had, I didn't know what gravity was. I know when you jump up, you land back down because you're attracted to the Earth. That's what I thought. Tesla's view of gravity was very different. Tesla said that all uh, matter is absorbing energy all of the time. And the reason we fall back to the Earth is not because we're attracted to the Earth, but because we're in the way of the influx. And so, this, so he resurrects the importance of the ether. And he's got a different view of what the God particle is. The God particle is the particle that, that gives matter its mass, and I think his dynamic theory of gravity uh, bears looking into. So I think what you take away from is that he's so fascinating that you see that he that that the war of the currents and the with Tesla and Edison. Although an incredibly great story is just one story, that his life really gets more and more interesting and amazing the more you study it. I've literally been studying his life for 40 years. I'm still getting documents mailed, emailed to me all the time. I got these uh, Russian uh, documents declassified because this, this fellow saw me on the Tesla Files, a TV show. We did a five-part limited series. Um, so people from all over the world have been sending me information. And so I think that that's it. Study a great thinker. Study, study Einstein. Study Leonardo da Vinci. Study these great thinkers. I think that's really the takeaway that Tesla constantly gives you more because he's so fascinating.
0: Yeah. Yeah, certainly. I mean, America needs to study people that, you know, to look up to like that, not Kim Kardashian. S- sorry, Kim. <laughs> but <laughs> um, well, so what was the biggest surprise you ever had? Um going through research and when you find get different documents sent to you and stuff like that, was there ever something that just sort of made you freeze in your tracks?
2: Yeah, I'll t- actually, I'll tell you the opposite story. I know in 1894 uh, t- uh, uh, Mark Twain was came to Tesla's laboratory. So I was out in California, I was working on my doctorate. I didn't go to Berkeley uh, for my doctorate I was at Sabre, but I went to Berkeley to do research. And I'm in the library, and they said, we have all of the letters and all the private diaries of Mark Twain. I said, you have all of them? They said, yeah. I said, you mean you have 1894? Oh, yeah. You, you mean you have April of 1894? And they say, yeah, and my heart is like beating, you know, out of my chest. And I get there, and I open up, and nothing, nothing is mentioned about Tesla at all in there. So that was that was the opposite. So I had, you know, a couple of real dead ends that I hit, and that was... That was one of the most amazing ones, uh, but I mentioned before General McNaughton was to me one of the greatest finds that I found recently, and also another big find that I found, which I think was a great find, was I found a real link between Vannevar Bush and Nikola Tesla. Uh, there's a, a great book, you know, called the you know the making of the atom bomb. Vannevar Bush was the head of secret weapons development uh, for the United States during World War II for the Manhattan Project, and in 1931, was, Tesla was 75 years old, and a lot of Nobel Prize winners wrote him a letter, and one guy from MIT wrote him a letter, and in the book that I have that has all the letters, they couldn't read the signature because it was illegible, and the, and there was no name typed at the top, and I realized that the, that the scribble was Vannevar Bush, so in 1931, Vannevar Bush. Send Tesla a happy birthday letter. And then later, uh, uh, when right after he dies, Bush uh, sends uh, John G. Trump in to look at Tesla's papers. To, uh, Trump worked for MIT. Turned out Trump was uh, Donald Trump's uh, uncle, his, his uh, father's brother. And the Trump report, which I had for 30 years, I knew Donald Trump. I grew up in New York. Uh, but I didn't, you know, just thought it was the same name. I had no idea that they were... So closely related. Uh, so those are some of the, the most fascinating things I found. This the real tie between Vannevar Bush, the head of the Manhattan Project, and Nikola Tesla, and also that uh, Trump, uh, the President Trump's uncle, uh, was the guy who studied Tesla's papers after Tesla died. And basically, he said, uh, "Don't worry about it. There's nothing of importance in here. They can you can send them to the communist country of Yugoslavia." And there was another group that I uncovered. Uh, headed by General uh, L.C. Craigie, who was the first person to fly a jet plane during World War II, kind of the Chuck Yeager of the day, or the John Glenn of the day, uh, but it was all done in secret. So I uncovered this uh, kind of a battle between two people in military intelligence, two groups. One group's putting Tesla down, saying, no, there's nothing to the particle-living weapon, don't worry about it. And another group from Wright-Patterson Air Force Base says, what are you, nuts? we got to keep these papers. And so they kept them for 10 years and they discovered another invention, which was very important, uh, which becomes the Osprey helicopter airplane. Uh, Tesla had a patent on that. So those are some of the fascinating things that that, uh, really stood out in my research in in the new book.
0: Well, That's pretty interesting. You know, how was he brought up by his parents or what, what was his childhood like? He he
2: grew up on a small farm. I was there in uh, smiljan It's about 150 miles from Rome as the crow flies. But that's across the Adriatic Sea. And it's along a plain. And way in the distance, you can see the Dinaric Alps. And I think he must have seen lightning storms in the Alps, traveling across the plain to his little church and house. And his father was a priest. The priest, the the church was right next to the house, Um, and he had an older brother that everyone looked up to, Dane, Tesla, who was as intelligent as Tesla. He was uh, seven years older than Tesla, so he had to be the favorite son because he'd been around for seven years before the new kid uh, grew up. And when Tesla was five, uh, Dane died in a a terrible accident with an Arabian steed. He fell off the horse, broke his neck, and he died. And... uh, So he he grew up, you know, with this horrible tragedy, but he also grew up learning how to improve his memory. They they memorized entire uh, Serbian ballads, uh, whole passages from the Bible. He knew Faust by heart. He knew nine different languages. He was part of the educated elite. Uh, His mother was from uh, the family that had the regional bishop. Um, So it was a very religious group. And he's also a Serb. The Serbs are this own little group. You know, the Jews have their group. The Catholics have their group. The Kurds have their group. The Serbs are their own little group. They're wonderful people with their own, uh, uh, you know, religion. Uh, It's a form of, you know, uh, Christian religion. But they talk about Kosovo, the Battle of Kosovo, which played a huge role in Tesla's psyche. took place in 1389 the uh, the Ottoman hordes were going to march through Europe and just, they would behead all the men, they would rape all the women and convert all of them to Muslim religion. Um, it was, a, a you know, not a good time. And uh, in 1389, the Serbs stopped uh, the, uh, this uh, Ottoman horde from taking over, but they lost their kingdom at the same time. And what I learned from one Serb, Dr. Markovic, he said, the uh, the battle of Kosovo hangs over our head like uh, like the the uh, the death of Jesus Christ for the Christians or the flight of the Jews out of Egypt for the Jews. Uh, that's how important it is, and it played a huge role. So Tesla was very aware of war. He saw war. He saw heads on on stakes, uh, the horribleness of war when he was uh, a young man, and he he built this particle beam weapon. He said it's a it's an actual a peace weapon. Not a, It's kind of the mutual, mutual assured destruction concept. He felt if everyone had this powerful particle beam weapon, you'd have to be crazy to invade another country because this, this particle beam, this death ray, would just knock out your army and, so you'd never do it. So it was an odd, complicated, you know, contradictory concept that you have this huge weapon which would stop war. But the, the reason has to do with his background and his realization of how terrible war was. It's uh, you know it's it's very complicated. It's it's just it's complicated. I don't know how else to say it.
1: Well, I guess he also really hated that um, the media kind of dubbed the particle beam the death beam instead of the peace beam, which which he uh, liked to call it.
2: Yeah, he 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 called it a peace ray, uh, but it was a death ray. I mean, you know, <laughs>
1: uh,
2: you have to trust. I mean, I, you guys know this, but there was a discussion of using tacti- tactical nuclear weapons during the, the the second Iraq war. My head was spinning when I read that, um, and that uh, they were actually considering that. I'm sure Putin is considering it right now. Um, so it it's not the weapon; it's, it's who's in charge um, of all right. that. Who's going to be in charge of these weapons, and what's their head
0: at? Yeah, it's always worrisome. Why, why do you think he? Um sort of started getting into occult and UFOs and that sort of part of of, of the world? Like, why, what, what drew him into there?
2: I think there were two major reasons. One, he believed in the plurality of worlds. Uh, they have this new uh, uh, telescope out in the sky, I don't know the name of it. Um, but I've seen the pictures of all the, uh, the spiral galaxies, the spiral, you know, clusters of spiral galaxies. It takes a hundred thousand years for light traveling at 186,000 miles a second to get from one end of the Milky Way to the other end. I mean, that's just our little spiral galaxy. So he knew there had to be life elsewhere in the, in the universe. That's the plurality of worlds concept. But at the same time, there was a tremendous belief in life on Mars. And the belief was, as we would, you know, be coming from an agrarian society to um, the modern age. That there was another planet ahead of us, that they were, uh, you know, uh, irrigating their entire planet, and Percival Lowell had a huge telescope out in Flagstaff, Arizona. His brother was the president of Harvard University, and and uh, Percival Lowell told us these are the canals on Mars. I photographed them. Here are the drawings. I have to enhance them a little, and uh, the Martians are ready for us. You know, we're about to be ready to be welcomed into this. You know, extraterrestrial community. So there were many people believed in life on Mars, and even today, even this very day, there are articles that maybe there's life on Mars, maybe there's uh, uh, fungus or some some type of growth that's growing on Mars. Um, so it was part of the zeitgeist of the day to believe in in that. Uh, in a War of the Worlds, H. G. Wells, and look what happened when Orson Wells uh, uh, made a radio show out of it. He created a panic. So subconsciously, we all believe in that there's got to be uh, life elsewhere. And he felt, once he received these pulse frequencies, and I'm going to give you a, a sound, this is what they sound like, because I, I I heard the Corn brothers reproduce it. It sounded like this. Beep! 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 That's what he received on his on his machine in 1899. And he thought, well, it must be the Martians. They contacted me. We're, we're about to enter the New Age. Uh, so he got caught up in it, and then the The uh, the UFO nuts got attached to him. We're now finding out that there's something to uh, UFOs. Uh, One of the reasons I got into Tesla to begin with, I was teaching parapsychology. You know, I was life after death, telepathy, psychokinesis, Uri Geller, and, you know, spoon bending, all that stuff. And I didn't know where reality ended, you know, and fantasy began. And then I learned about Tesla in 1976 when I first learned about him. And I said, wow, he's got patents. These are real patents. This guy's an actual real guy. So I kind of shifted gears away from parapsychology and study of UFOs and life after death and out-of-body experiences and all of that, traveling clairvoyance, uh, remote viewing, and moved m- mostly into Tesla because I could prove for sure that he was the real deal. And then I tried to set, up, set out to see, was he really the inventor of the radio? Was he really the inventor of the hydroelectric power system? And I was astonished that I was able to establish that, indeed, he really is uh, the most important event behind all these, all these inventions. So that's, you know, some of, uh, why he's linked to the occult and how I got into him because I was linked to the occult. That's how I found out about him.
0: Wow. So he would have been on Coast to Coast radio too, right? Yeah, he would have definitely been on <laughs> Coast to Coast. <laughs> George Noory would have him on there every day, every week.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, um, so now, um, how do people get a hold of you, uh, find the book and everything like that? Do you have a website? Do you, have, do, you do social media with fans or, or where do people find you?
2: Yeah, I have a, a website, MarkCypher.com. Uh, I didn't hide my email. I get emails all the time. Some of them are nuts and others are just great individuals. Um, I it, it bugs me. I don't know if it bugs you, but you try to communicate with a lot of these famous people and you can't get to them. Um, and uh, so... It's a, we live in this great age of communication, but try to contact some people, and it's it's unbelievable. But the, I have two books: "Wizard: The Life and Times of Nikola Tesla," which is his entire life story. It's a number one bestseller on Amazon, and USA Today, and uh, Wall Street Journal bestseller list. And the new book, uh, which is now out in hardcover, will be released in about a week. Is uh, "Tesla: Wizard at War: uh, The Genius, the Part of Clean Weapon, and the Pursuit of Power." Um, and that book is available at Barnes and Noble and Amazon and, and all bookstores. I'm truly, uh, very happy to see that the bookstores are ordering the book. Um, it's a very, uh, e- easy to read. I don't, you know, you pick up books is a feel that you have. It is a book too heavy or too not, it's a light book, but it's, it, there's a lot of information in it, but it's just a friendly book to hold in your hand. I'm very happy with the cover. Um, and, uh, it's just fascinating. So. Yeah. Uh, so the normal, the normal inquirers, you can easily find my email uh, on my website. Um, but please order the book from Amazon or Barnes and Noble. Um, uh, that's that's the best way to get it.
0: Well, fantastic. Of course, we'll have that up on our site. People can find it with one click and get to you and stuff. Did did did, um, did Tesla like Einstein? No. (laughs) (laughs) Was that, that, is that like a rivalry kind of feel or was it just he didn't like him as a person? What do you think? I think, you
2: know, I
0: honestly think he
2: was jealous that Einstein was getting all the press and he thought the fear of relativity was just crazy. Um, He didn't believe in that. Um, He also, he wrote that, uh, look, I've split atoms. I never saw any release of tremendous amount of energy. It's all baloney. It's all theoretical baloney that, that Einstein is, is spewing. And uh, the reason why he, he, he did indeed split atoms, what he didn't do was split the nucleus. Um, so I think it's one of the shames that he didn't get to live. He died in 1943. If he'd lived a couple more years and seen the atom bomb explode, he would have had to totally re- reorient his thinking. So he and I did a lot of research to see if there's any letters between them. There's only one letter I've seen. I've gone through the Einstein papers and also the Tesla papers. There's no uh, link between them except the one letter that Einstein sent him, wishing him a happy birthday in 1931. Um, But that is a fascinating topic, uh, Einstein and Tesla. Um, But there is no personal link between them. And it's Tesla's greatest mistake to have discounted Einstein's theories.
0: Yeah, yeah. and if it was in the modern, if we had the wireless phones then, you see, he would have been sending them hate mail.
2: <laughs> I don't think he would have gone that far.
0: No, no, probably not. What do you think he would do with the world today, the way it's gone with all of this technology? How do you think he would have handled it, the way people behave? Um,
2: I, I'm going to blow your mind and tell you what he would have done. He was selling ozone generators. He invented an ozone generator in 19... uh 1896 patented it and he was selling it to a medical community and uh, I got into ozone uh, therapy I've written a new book called ozone therapy for the treatment of viruses which will be out in March uh, and to my utter astonishment ozone therapy kills viruses that's what it does and he knew that he talked about uh, the, the medical advantages they didn't know what viruses weren't about 1920 uh, but this whole pandemic uh, was caused by the FDA and the FTC uh, blocking the ozone therapists who are wonderful medical doctors all throughout the country and literally throughout the world that are killing the COVID virus left, right, and every which way. I've written to every one of the, you know, Fauci and Burks and Dr. JHA, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, and uh, Dr. Walensky, president of the United States, vice president, every senator and and congressman you can think of uh, telling them that ozone therapy will kill the ozone virus uh, I mean, the COVID virus. And what you do is, if you Google ozone, out pops a letter, a notice from the FDA that ozone uh, is a toxic gas with no medical uh, application. I'll tell that to the 50 years of research of all well, these medical doctors are finding that it's killing viruses left and right. And also the ozone layer. Without the ozone layer, there'd be no life on the planet. Um, If that's not a medical advantage, uh, I don't know what is. So that's what I think he'd be doing. I think he'd be selling ozone generators, and he would have stopped this pandemic before it ever started.
0: Um, Well, why do why do um, the medical community and stuff like that uh, ignore things like this? Like, you know, people like Fauci are not even picking on him. But why why would the FDA or CDC and stuff like that and president and all these people? Why do they ignore this?
2: Um, you know, we, we, we alluded to this before, and I, I don't want to get into a political discussion at all, uh, but if we know in Russia that the Russians uh, think that Putin's a hero, and we know he's not, and we know in China uh, that they, they don't know anything about Tiananmen Square. There's stuff happening in America, I, I want to avoid a political discussion. but right. there's uh, 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 It's, it's uh, hypnotized by the media. Google ozone and out pops this message by the FDA, the Federal Drug Administration, and they have blocked. I have the warning letter that they've actually sent to medical doctors uh, that are, have that are been ozone therapists for 30 years saying, if you dare advertise that you can cure the COVID virus, uh, we will shut you down. Uh, I have the letters which said that. Um, and I have sent letters to uh, uh, New York Times, The Washington Post, uh, uh, LA Times, you name it Time Magazine to the editors in chief of all these places, they've all refused to do anything about this um, I don't know the answer I've tried to contact 60 Minutes Frontline. Uh, front line. Um, it is astonishing but when you really get into it uh, and, 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 and don't believe me, uh, what you need to do is uh, Google uh, uh, Ryan King R-H-I-A-N K-A-N-G, in the Ibiza, which is a newspaper in in Ibiza, Spain, and look up ozone therapy and Dr. Hernandez, and you will find in in April of 2020, which was just a couple of months after uh, this pandemic started, Dr. Hernandez says, I was going to put my patients on ventilators, but I gave them ozone therapy, and in just a few sessions, the results have been spectacular. He followed up with uh, uh, research that he did. He gave Ozone therapy to nine patients randomly chosen, and the other nine, they were the COVID patients. The nine who had ozone therapy were out of the hospital in seven days, the other nine who had COVID were out in 28 days. I sent all that information to doctors, medical doctors, to uh, the higher ups, government leaders, uh, uh, governors, um, Gavin Newsom, and um, you know, in, in, in New York, uh, and, and on and on. And uh, they, they, they've ignored it. Ron Klain, I've sent him stuff. He was involved in the Ebola crisis. Um, it's, uh, you know, had Ebola spread like COVID, that would have been the end of the world when, in fact, a treatment existed which can knock out the Ebola virus as well. That's how powerful this is. And Tesla was selling ozone generators uh, at the turn of the century. He knew all, you know, the beneficial uh, effects of this way back when so it's because of Tesla that I learned all about this and uh, my new book, Ozone Therapy, which will be out in March. is co-written by four medical doctors.
0: Wow. Well, we'll, we'll look forward to that. Um, well, it's been a good conversation. We appreciate you being on the show and, and it's a very interesting subject and we've been talking about Tesla and the new book, Tesla Wizard at War and that's by our guest called Mark Jay Seifer. So thank you for coming on the show.
2: Alan, thank you for having me, Michael. uh, Thank you for having me. I mean, David, thank you for having me. Uh, It's been a a great pleasure to be on here and uh, I look forward to hopefully speaking with you again. Thanks,
1: Mark. Tired of wasting time trying to decide what to watch on your streaming service? Go to our website and look for the Martino Movie Reviews.